The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, and Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. Therefore, since we are, we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so, so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of, of the throne of God. Consider, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. All right, let's pray. Uh, Father, we are a church who looks to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. I thank you, Lord, for this time where we can really understand who you are, and really understand that I think some of us here are weary or faint-hearted, and so, Lord, would you would we just lay aside any distractions from work, ministry, or school, and would we understand who you are? Would you give us clarity, Father, through Oliver's message? In Jesus' name, amen. All right, good morning. Uh, my name is Randall. I'm the lead pastor of Grace City. If this is your first time this morning, welcome. And, um, you know, one of the joys that, that I get to do is I get to invest in leaders, um, people that have been coming to Grace City for a long time. And uh, really on my heart, you know, for, for Grace City, we're a church plant. So we started about three and a half years ago. And we take very seriously God's word, preaching God's word, um, going through the scriptures. And so we've been going through the book of Hebrews. Um, but really for me, one of my joys that I get to do every summer is really get to build up a, a group of guys. And so I, I meet with a small group of guys. Jen Darm's in the group. And so the guy that read scripture today. And then Oliver is a part of that group as well. And Oliver has been coming to Grace City for the past three years. And um, we've seen Oliver grow in his faith. And one of the things he told me is he said, I feel God's calling uh, to be a pastor and to plant a church someday. And I said, well, we got a lot of work to do then, you know, and so there's a lot of things. And, and one of the things that that's a part of that is like, you don't call yourself in a ministry. God calls you. And one of the ways that you get confirmed in ministry is through a local church body. And so Oliver has been faithfully serving. He was here this morning setting up in the production area, doing all types of things like that, just faithfully serving the Lord. But he loves Jesus. And so as we've been going through this group of what it means to preach God's word, it's like, okay, this is an opportunity now to do that. And um, I remember the first time that my youth pastor gave me a chance to preach the word of God. I was 16 years old, and I just knew from that point that God was calling me to do it. And so Oliver today, he's, he's, a, he's a campus minister for Destino. He's doing a lot of ministry around, but um, I just 
so thankful for what God's done in Oliver's life. And so he's going to bring our word this morning. So if you guys can give it up for Oliver Castillo. Come on, Oliver. Good morning, church. Man, it's really bright up here. <laughs> um, yeah, as Randall was saying, my name is Oliver Castillo. And it actually feels really weird being up here because, I mean, I'm the production team leader, so I'm usually hiding back there um, in the booth. And so, yeah, this is, uh, yeah, I'm kind of nervous, to be honest. But, um, yeah, it's just really weird, I mean, just being up here. Um, if you've been coming to Grace City for a while, then you know we've had guys with PhDs or people who actually went to seminary um, up here preaching. A little disclaimer about myself is that I actually dropped out of college about five years ago, and I didn't go to seminary, so, I mean, don't expect any fancy words from me or great theology either. Um, now, for those of you who don't know me or, you know, uh, maybe haven't heard my testimony, I'd like to share a little bit about it. So, you know, one of the things that Ryan actually challenged me to do was to share my testimony without making myself the hero of the story. If anything, I'm the villain and God is a hero. Um, so I used to be a pothead. Uh, my extended family knew me as a pothead. A few months before I came to Grace City, I was going through a season of heavy apathy. I didn't care about anything. I didn't care about myself. I didn't care about others. I didn't care about my job. I definitely didn't care for God. Um, so yeah, one of my lowest points came when I showed up to work under the influence of six different substances. I won't say what they were, but let's just say I was tripping out hard. Um, and yeah, it was a really bad idea. <laughs> like, um, yeah, I mean, that's kind of where I was at like a few months before I came to Grace City. And so I was smoking weed constantly. I would show up high to work late most days. Like I said, I didn't care about anything. Around that same time, I started messing around with this girl that I had a crush for, on for months. Um, you know, that only lasted for a bit. And then around that same time, one of my best friends from high school was shot and killed back in Texas. He took six bullets and was pronounced dead as soon as he got to the hospital. Um, around the same time, I actually started dating another girl. But because of my mental and emotional state, it didn't really work out. And she broke up with me the day before my birthday. And so all these things launched an emotional downward spiral. Throughout the season, I was constantly trying to stay high and get drunk to pass out. I was stuck in a deep depression, battling my own mind and even battling suicidal thoughts. And, you know, I was, I was always looking for satisfaction in relationships, but that only left me feeling empty and brokenhearted. I was looking for love in all the wrong places. Then one of my friends invited me to play basketball, and that's where I met Randall and some of the other guys who helped plant Grace City. After a few weeks, I got to share my story with Randall and how I was struggling with depression. And he shared the gospel with me and offered to pray for me, and then he invited me to Grace City. I remember it was on Valentine's Day, and I showed up late and high. I actually showed up during family time. I remember my sermon was about, er, not mine, <laughs> Randall's sermon was about God's love, and it spoke directly to my heart. I decided to put my faith in Christ, and then from that day forward, I started reading the Bible and trying to figure out what it looked like to live by faith. It was only by the grace of God that I was saved, and it's by his grace alone that I stand here today. So yeah, I've basically been serving here at Grace City ever since, um, and yeah, I mean, I've been serving on the production team, and yeah, just super humble to be a part of that team. Um, 
We're actually looking for volunteers, so if anyone, you know, would like to <laughs> check us out, you know, come help. We need a, we could definitely, you know, I know us and some of the other teams. Um, can we give a hand to all the volunteers who serve every Sunday here? <clears throat> yeah, so we've been going through the book of Hebrews um, this summer, and if you've been following along or are you, if you're familiar with the book of Hebrews, then you know that the author makes a lot of references to the Old Testament. He quotes scripture regularly in order to establish the fact that every scripture has testified about Jesus being the Messiah and supreme king over all creation. He makes a case using the Old Testament that Jesus is greater than the angels and Moses and even greater than the law. Jesus is the great high priest in the order of Melchizedek who will establish a brand new covenant by becoming the ultimate atoning sacrifice once and for all. In chapter 10, the author quotes Jeremiah, This is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. And then we get to chapter 11 where he defines faith as the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And then the author begins this long list of mentions of people who lived by faith in ancient times. People like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Rahab, whom we know are all part of the genealogy of Jesus. People who lived by faith and died in faith. People who hoped to one day see the promise that God had originally made to Abraham in Genesis 12. And then finally, we get to today's text where he briefly mentions five judges, a king, and the prophets, and how many great things they did through faith, yet died without receiving that promise. So we see three, th we see three things in this text. Number one, it's all in God's hands. Number two, he has gone before us. And number three, he is faithful to the end. And so it starts off by saying, And what more shall I say? For time would fail to tell me of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. And so what we're seeing here is that throughout the, um, you know, I was reading the book of Judges this week, and this is actually one of my favorite books in the Old Testament. I love how explicit and graphic it is and how it points, paints a vivid portrait of what human corruption looks like without God. Think of apostasy or even practical atheism as Trevor and Randall were preaching the last couple of weeks. One of the recurring themes that I noticed as I was reading the book of Judges this week was this vicious cycle of sin, oppression, repentance, deliverance, peace, and then back to sin. Judges chapter 2 talks about Israel's unfaithfulness. It says, then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hand of those who plundered them. Yet they did not listen to their judges, for they whored after other gods and bowed down to them. They soon turned aside from the way in which their fathers had walked, who had obeyed the commandments of the Lord, and they did not do so. Whenever the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge, and he saved them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who afflicted and oppressed them. But whenever the judge died, they turned back and were more corrupt than their fathers, going after other gods. 
serving them and bowing down to them. They did not drop any of their practices or their stubborn ways. So we see that there's this downward spiral that is found throughout the book. Time and time again, the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Therefore, the anger of the Lord was kindled against them. But when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer for the people of Israel who saved them. The Spirit of the Lord was upon him, and he judged Israel, so the land had rest 40 years. Then he died, and the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And so the cycle repeats itself. Kind of sounds like a metaphor to the Christian life, doesn't it? We sin, we repent, God delivers us from our sin, we have peace for a moment, and then the very next moment we're right back to sinning. This literally happens over and over and over again throughout the book. And it really makes you wonder, will Israel ever learn? But if you zoom out and reflect on this recurring theme, then you realize that it wasn't just Israel, but every human being has this tendency. We are creatures of habit. Our hearts are split between good and evil. Alexander Solzhenitsyn said, The line separating good and evil passes not through states nor between classes, nor between political parties either but right through every human heart and through all human hearts. This line shifts. Inside us, it oscillates with the years. And even within hearts overwhelmed by evil, one small bridgehead of good is retained. So basically what he's saying here is that there's, not, there's no such thing as good people and bad people. You can't split people into good people and evil people. We're all good since we're all made in the image of God. But because of the original sin of Adam and Eve, we are all corrupted by evil. We all have a rebellion towards God ingrained in our nature. And so let's take a look at a couple of these judges. First, he mentions Gideon, who was a military leader, a judge of Israel, and a prophet who helped defeat the Midianites. Um, Gideon, I mean, I think he was just like a farmer, and uh, the angel of the Lord appears to him and basically tells him, like, I'm going to save Israel from the Midianites um, through your hand. And he's like, really, me? Like, Nah, like, that's not, that's not real. And then um, he basically, you know, again, like, he's like, no, like, really, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to save Israel from the Midianites through you. And so he's like, all right, well, if you're really God, I want you to prove yourself. I'm going to lay out this fleece, and I want it to basically the dew to, like, you know, I want, I want there to be dew on it uh, in the morning, and then the rest of the ground around to be dry, and so sure enough, the next morning, he takes that fleece and squeezes it out and like he fills a bowl with water and everything else was dry around it. So then the next day, um, he asked God, he's like, all right, well, I'm still not sure if you're God, so I'm going to try this again, but now do it the other way. Like I want the fleece to be dry and then all the ground around it to be, you know, uh, moist. And so God does it. And so sure enough, you know, after that, he's like, all right, well, maybe, maybe you are God. And maybe you do want to help, you know, help me defeat the Midianites. And so, um, yeah, he ends up defeating an army of 135,000 soldiers using only 300 men. And all they had were torches and trumpets. They didn't even have any weapons. And the victory came through the hand of the Lord. And then we get to Samson, who was born a Nazarite, which basically means dedicated to the Lord. He was supposed to deliver Israel from the Philistines. As a Nazarite, he wasn't supposed to cut his hair, drink wine, or touch any corpses. He was very strong. At one point, he actually kills a thousand Philistines using only a donkey jawbone. 
but he was an arrogant man, a womanizer, and had anger issues. Eventually, his downfall comes at the hands of a woman who cuts his hair while he sleeps, which was where his strength came from. When he's finally captured, they gouge out his eyes and imprison him. As his final act, he prays for God to return his strength so he can get revenge. He tears down the pillars of a temple, killing over 3,000 Philistines. And so what's interesting is that there are a lot of parallels between Jesus and Samson's story. An angel appeared to both of their parents to announce their miraculous births. Samson's mother was barren, and Mary was a virgin. Samson was born to deliver Israel from the Philistines. Jesus came to deliver us from sin and death. The Holy Spirit was with both of them. Samson kills a lion with his bare hands, while Jesus defeated Satan, who is described as a roaring lion. Both were betrayed for silver by someone who was close to them. They were both mocked and scorned while blinded, and they both gave up their lives and died with arms wide open. And then the book of Judges ends, and it says, In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And then we get to Samuel, who was a prophet and the last judge before Israel demanded a king, which displeased Samuel. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. So then Saul gets appointed as the first king of Israel. He starts off well, trusting in the Lord's hand, but ends up disobeying God. And Samuel prophesies that the kingdom will be taken from him. And then we get to David, who was from Bethlehem, the youngest of his brothers and a shepherd, an unlikely candidate. Yet when the Philistine champion Goliath defies the ranks of Israel, every man, including Saul, was afraid of him. But David was not afraid, for he had faith in God. In a conversation between him and Saul, he says, Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Spoiler alert, David ends up killing Goliath. And then he begins a successful military campaign because the Lord was with him. Eventually, Saul dies and David becomes king. So he's off to a pretty good start and things look promising as a king. God even makes a promise that the Messiah will come from his offspring. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. But then we get to one of the darkest moments in King David's life. While the whole army is away um, fighting a war, he basically, you know, stays behind and while he's on his roof, he sees this beautiful woman taking a bath. Her name was Bathsheba. She was the wife of a man named Uriah the Hittite who was away in battle. David ends up sleeping with her and gets her pregnant. And then after this, David tries to basically cover up what he did and erase the mistakes that he had made. So he sends for Uriah to come have dinner with him, gets him drunk and sends him home, hoping that he will sleep with his wife. But Uriah refuses since his fellow men are fighting a war. So then David sends him back to the battlefield with a letter to the commander 
basically telling him to place Uriah at the front lines where death is guaranteed. When Bathsheba finds out, she laments over her husband's death. And then once she's done mourning, David takes her as his wife. The prophet Nathan confronts him about it, and David recognizes the horror of his sin. Then Nathan tells David that the child will die. Once the child is born, he becomes sick. And so David basically fasts and lays on the ground without moving for seven days, hoping that God will show him mercy. But the child still dies. This story is a great representation of what James says. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Yet from this illicit marriage comes Solomon, who was one of the you know, wisest kings to ever live. And he's also part of Jesus' genealogy. So we see God's hand is in it. This story reminds me of Tim Lambesis, who is best known as the vocalist of a local heavy metal band, As I Lay Dying. Most of the band members would identify themselves as Christians. He started the band back in 2000, and they have enjoyed a pretty successful music career. Tim grew up here in the area. He went to Santa Fe Christian School in Solana Beach and was voted most like Jesus by his classmates. <laughs> he went to Liberty University, a private evangelical Christian university where he majored in religious studies. He's also known as a bodybuilder who started his own YouTube fitness channel. He married Megan Murphy in June 2004, and they adopted three children from Ethiopia. In 2012, he began to question his religious beliefs, stating that his studies of theology had led him to the conclusion that tradition and truth are often at odds with each other. In August 2012, while he was on tour, he sent an email to his wife saying that he no longer loved her, had engaged in an affair, and no longer believed in God. They separated that same month, and she filed for divorce the next month. In the divorce papers, Megan stated that Lambesis was obsessed with bodybuilding, spending hours, endless hours at the gym, and was wasting thousands of dollars on tattoos. She also alleged that he had become dangerously distracted while watching their children, including falling asleep while they played in their pool, and had taken two last-minute trips to Florida to see an extramarital girlfriend. On May 7, 2013, he was arrested in Oceanside after attempting to hire a hitman to murder his wife, who happened to be an undercover cop. He pleaded guilty in 2014 and was sentenced to serve six years in prison. He was released on parole in December 2016. He has since remarried, reconciled, and reunited with his band, got his master's in social working, and is a certified addiction treatment counselor. He has been working with the recovery commun community and doing prison outreach. The band has also partnered up with Heart Support, an organization that functions to provide emotional support and counseling to young adults caught in cycles of addiction, depression, sexual abuse, and domestic violence. And so through the good, the bad, and the ugly, we see that God's hand is working through it all. Through faith, we can rise again to a better life, just as Jesus did. Then we get to the next part of uh, today's scripture. 
And it says, Others suffered mocking and flogging, and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword, they went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. And so what we see here is that he has gone before us. You know, in, the, in these few verses, the author mentions all the suffering, the mocking, the flogging, chains, imprisonment, and even death that these people experienced. Can you imagine what being tortured or imprisoned for your faith look, would look like? What about being stoned or even sawn in two? Things you hear of other believers in different countries going through. You know, people being extorted, arrested, or even beheaded. According to an article on the Gospel Coalition written at the beginning of this year, titled, Christian Persecution is Intensifying, it says, Every day, one in nine Christians in the world faces high levels of religious persecution for following Jesus. That's more than 245 million believers. And today, there are, today, more than any time in modern history, Christian persecution is intensifying with little sign of relief. In more than 60 countries, Christians risk isolation, ridicule, and imprisonment, loss of their homes, torture, rape, and even death for their faith in Jesus. Up until recently, I thought this was what it meant to be persecuted for your faith. I didn't know that people in America, where we have freedom of religion, could be persecuted for their faith. So why are we afraid to share our faith? Why are we afraid to take a stand against the evil forces of this world? I mean, think about it. Comparatively speaking, we're pretty blessed here in America. There's people literally dying for their faith. Um, people who can't even congregate like we do here. Um, they can't even worship God, um, at least not out in the open. I actually took a mission trip to North Africa last year, and, you know, they have an underground church movement. They meet at people's houses. And if your family finds out that you're a Christian, you know, they'll basically ban you from the family. They'll disown you. Um, you know, if the government finds out, they'll probably put you in prison. And so let us remember what Jesus said. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Now think about what Jesus suffered. He was betrayed by a friend. His disciples abandoned him. He literally sweat blood. He was falsely accused by Jewish leaders, the very ones that were supposed to be representing him and his teachings. He was mocked, flogged, and crowned with thorns. He carried his own cross that he would be crucified on after being beaten. Then finally, he was nailed to that cross and pierced with a spear. Jesus suffered on our behalf, and that right there is a better sacrifice that God provided for us, that the people of ancient Israel were promised but did not receive. God has gone before us and before every man of great faith. And so the next part says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, 
Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. So we see here that he is faithful to the end. So the first verse says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now this isn't really my area of expertise. I actually hate running. One of my friends challenged me to run a mile every day for a week, but I don't think I've ever even ran a mile in my whole life. <laughs> so the author here says, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. The thing that comes to mind is trying to run with one of those, trying to run a marathon with one of those weight vests. Yeah, you might still finish the race, but you're going to have to be working harder. It's going to weigh you down. You might feel like giving up halfway through. You'll probably be slower too. Or you might not even finish the race. In its most basic form, sin is a failure to love God and love people by not treating them with the honor and respect they deserve. It can be any selfish act, putting our own best interest ahead of others. Sometimes it can be not acting upon an opportunity to serve others. Local artist and creative entrepreneur Ruslan puts it this way, sin can be anything done outside of faith. Then in the next verse it says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So here he's saying, look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Look to Jesus who has already crossed the finish line. Look to Jesus who already has a trophy waiting for you. He already carried that heavy cross. He bore the full weight of our sin on his shoulders so we don't have to run with that weight. Even through the shame and suffering, he chose joy in order to redeem us back to God. And finally, the last verse says, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. You know, Christ died for the very ones who killed him. He literally died for his enemies out of love so that we may be reconciled to God. Do you know how hard that is? Jesus told his disciples to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. You know, I was born and raised in El Paso, Texas, where there was just a mass shooting last week at a local Walmart. I grew up going to that mall, and I'm very familiar with that Walmart. Usually, you know, whenever I was hanging out with my friends at the mall or the movie theater right there, um, after they closed, we would just go to Walmart, maybe grab dinner at the McDonald's, and just wait for our parents to pick us up. I've been living here in San Diego for nine years, and I haven't been to El Paso in five years. I have lost most of my contacts 
from there, and I haven't logged on to Facebook in over two years, so I feel a disconnect with my hometown and the friends I have there. The tragedy that happened last weekend reminded me of where I came from. I remember growing up, El Paso was constantly ranked as the nation's safest city. Yet, because of the choices of one man, one of the nation's safest cities made national headlines. Dozens of people were injured, over 20 were killed. It's a terrible display of the sin that has conquered human hearts. Only 21 years old, and he chose to take so many lives. Now, I know I don't love the shooter, but I don't hate him either, because I recognize that I have a heart that's also been corrupted by sin. My sin just looks different. Yet Jesus died for my sin and for his sin as well, whether he knows that or not. Now, will someone love him enough to tell him that? Well, that's in God's hands. Last I heard, he was facing the death penalty. Can you imagine being the father of one of those victims and saying, I forgive you for killing my son? And not only that, but saying, let me take your place on death row. But that is the beauty of the gospel, that even while we were still sinners, he died for us. Even when we're faithless and unfaithful to him, he is faithful. And so I got three takeaways. First one is, do you know what your idols are? You know, idols are not just statues like the ancient people worship, but it can be anything that you think about constantly or place above God in your heart. You know, maybe you've thought like, oh, if I, if I could only do this or if I could only have that or if I could only achieve this goal, then I'll be happy. But the truth is, nothing will ever satisfy the emptiness that we all feel deep down inside. There's a space inside of us reserved for God that no other thing could ever replace. I love this quote from Tim Keller. Maybe you've heard of the idea that money can be an idol. Maybe you've heard the idea that sex can be an idol. Have you ever heard that church can be an idol? The law of God can be an idol. Your own moral efforts and your own moral rectitude can be an idol. Until you can see that, you don't have a biblical understanding of what idolatry is because idolatry is looking to something to give you the kind of hope, the kind of value, the kind of safety that only God himself can give you. The next takeaway is, are you aware of sins that are weighing you down? Just like in that verse, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance. You know, I've committed so many sins throughout my life and I've seen a lot of those sins weigh me down. And it's only until I've let go of those sins and placed them at the feet of Jesus that he's taken them from me and that he's helped me, you know, recognize my own brokenness. And so Galatians 5.1 says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. And the final takeaway is, how can you serve and love someone you normally wouldn't this week? Think about it. Are there people you have been rejecting? Maybe it's someone you don't get along with or someone you don't necessarily agree with. Maybe it's your roommate or your neighbor. Maybe it's that homeless man you pass on your way to work every day. 
We live in a world where there's a lot of hate being spread, but not enough love. Martin Luther King said, darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. So think about it. How can you love someone better today than you did yesterday? How can you be better at putting others' needs or serving others before yours? Galatians 5, 13 through 15 says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Let's pray. Father God, um, thank you so much for every blessing that you've given us. Thank you for this opportunity to come before uh, your people. Um, even though I didn't feel equipped um, or even worthy, um, you've been there with us throughout time. And yeah, just thank you for, for sending your son to walk in human flesh and die for our sins and fulfill that promise that was made early on. And I just pray that we continue to um, live by your word and by your teachings and by your commandments to love God and love others. So I, I pray that you continue to fill us with the Holy Spirit and remind us that it's not through our own efforts or our own works, but it's all in your hands. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.